I'll say, bless the Lord, if you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. All right. Good evening, Kairos. I'm Chris Brooks. Uh, I am honored and humbled to be called pastor here. Uh, we want to be the kind of place that engages the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime, with anybody. We're going to do a new series in the next couple of weeks. It's called Things You Don't Need to Pray About. Um, yes, that's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Yes, that's poking religious hypocrites in the eyes on purpose. And I could just hear my grandfather's voice in my head who is very conservative and fundamentalist. Now, Christopher, you know, the Bible says, then the King James Version, which is the only inspired version that was ever printed, it's the one Jesus read, says, pray without ceasing for this is the will of God and be anxious for nothing, but with everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. How could you do a series called Things You Don't Need to Pray About? Uh, I totally agree. We need to be in a constant state of prayer. What I mean by this series is I want to give a fresh hearing because I think all too often times, sometimes in Christian circles, we use prayer as a smokescreen for delayed obedience. Yeah, let me pray about that. What we really mean is I don't have the courage to tell you no right now. And in fact, I'm just going to go away and never pray about it and hope you disappear and this request disappears. So I, I, I get it, we, we need intentionality. And if you don't believe me, there's a guy named A.W. Tozer who had a lot more theological street cred than I do. He said it this way, prayer is never a substitute for obedience. Now, some of us may be lacking in the prayer category and therefore maybe our obedience is suffering, but maybe you're suffering in the obedience category because your prayer is suffering because you're not really doing anything in your life right now that actually requires prayer. You're not stepping out in faith. As a matter of fact, the life you're living right now, you can manage just fine in your own strength and your own power. And maybe, just maybe, sometimes, an act of obedience comes first, and then our awareness of the need of prayer comes second in a new and profound and prof powerful way. Um, I... I uh, you guys ever watch uh, those videos that say you only had one job, right? I, I feel so much better about myself when I watch those people. I, mostly I see it on like sports recaps. They're showing some player, hey, you only had one job and they totally blow it. Um, I get convicted that when we stand before Jesus and the highlight reel of our life is played, that he might look at us and said, you only have one job. Make disciples that make disciples. And all of our time and energy seems to be spent on frivolous and seemingly insignificant things. Sometimes even religious things. But in the meantime, ignoring our main mission to go into all the nations and families of the earth and make disciples of Jesus with Jesus. Why do I keep saying the word disciples? Why is that such a big deal? Well, it just loosely translated, it means we need to make listeners and learners of God's will and his way, of who we are and who we're constantly inviting people to be a part of. And maybe one of the things that we just need to be honest about and come out and acknowledge and repent and ask God to send a revival through our churches is we've gone AWOL in our main mission. And if you don't believe me, there's some research out on this. Um, a study was done in evangelical churches, and I'll read some of the key stats to you, that 80% of people agree, 
I have a personal responsibility to share my religious beliefs about Jesus with non-Christians. Even 75% of those 80% of people said, I actually feel comfortable doing that. When it actually comes down to it, 61% of people have not shared with another non-believer in the past six months. 48% have not invited anyone to church in the past six months. And 20% of people say, you know what? I rarely or never pray for people who are not professing Christians. Do you think we as the body of Christ have some repenting to do and some realigning to do with the mission of Jesus? The last words out of his mouth, go and make disciples, and yet very few of us are sharing our faith. Now, I do, I, I hear that, but I also want to acknowledge the fact that sometimes it's just awkward. Has anybody ever tried to share their faith and it just went down, down in a ball of flames, or you just went, oh, that did not go well at all? I was not good. They were not good. In fact, I think Jesus asked me to stop sharing my faith for about six months. That's why I answered that to that question, because it, it was just pitiful. Um, wait, I got a friend, Daryl, uh, on staff here. He did a video of what it feels like sometimes. As I don't know if you grew up in Christian culture like me, you're given strategies or tactics or really bad artwork tracks um, and fake $100 bills and all this stuff. And you just get so overwhelmed that you forget how to be you when you're sharing your faith. And so if you guys put your attention to the screens, watch this video of gospel conversations gone wrong. We need to talk about Jesus. Beard, long hair, white robe, purple sash. That guy? You met him? I have. Besties. If you were to die today, do you know where you'd go? Because I know where I'd go. I, I've got that squared away. Do you know where you'd go? Let me, let me phrase it like this. You and I in this coffee shop like we are right now, like a pack of wolves came in. That was morbid. Okay, let, let's rewind it back up. Do you want to do life together? Two guys just hanging out, playing a Lex box, you know? RC Cola, just drinking it back. I'm a disciple, I'm, I'm a disciple, and I'm making you a disciple. If God gets you to it, he's gonna get you through it. Gosh, that sounds like Joel Osteen. Um, this is you. This is Jesus. This is heaven. That's the world. This is your sin. This is the flames of hell. You know when you get when you put it all together? You get this. Oh, how about we just, we just have some coffee. How about this? So uh, I have some of those same fears and reservations. I'm not a super Christian. Um, I, I, I always am totally conscious about coming off as the Bible beater guy who in the middle of a conversation wants to start slapping somebody around with morality and yell at them for not following Jesus, even though they're not following Jesus. And then I have this fear of, I don't want to be stupid little Christian boy who gets caught in a complex question and I don't have the answer for it. And I start stuttering and stammering like Porky Pig. Um, and I also don't want to be big hypocrite guy especially when I'm trying to have gospel conversations with people who've known me for a long time. Like my greatest fear is them going, uh, yeah, you follow Jesus, but what about this in your life? And you're like, uh, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, check, please. So uh, I, I wonder if there's a different way 
that we could share the gospel and share our faith in a way that's natural, but also intentional. So I'm going to ask Jacoby to come up and read our text for tonight. Um, It's a passage out of Acts chapter 17. Paul is here uh, in Athens, and I'm just going to set the context up before she reads it so you can listen into some neat things that Paul does. Uh, He's just left a city. He's waiting for Silas and Timothy to show up, but he's got a case that can't help it. He's not just going to wait. He's going to go to church and start telling people about Jesus. And then he's going to be present in the culture and the people in the cities that he's around. And the text says this before the part that Jacoby reads. He was deeply troubled at all the idols that he saw. And so he found out a way to talk to the people and engage them in a gospel conversation. And here's where we'll pick up our text. Pick up in Acts chapter 17. Verses 22 to 33. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it. To an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his need, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth, He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone, everywhere, to repent from their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead." When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. And that ended Paul's discussion with them. I'll say the word of the Lord. You say, thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. What I appreciate about that text is, one, that's one of the uh, only recorded full-length sermons that we have of Paul uh, to the Gentiles. Now... Um, I don't know if it's because it's his third missionary journey or he's getting a little bit older, but elsewhere we're told sometimes he's preaching all the way into the night. Some dude fell asleep, fell out a window and died. So I just appreciate the fact that that one's probably short and concise, which is great. Uh, Maybe he's maturing in that area. I also love the fact that he just seems to stay present. He seems to stay curious. He seems to stay humble and he stays in community. He walks into a city. He doesn't just come out of the gates blazing. He just starts with where they're at and then conversationally moves them logically and intuitively towards the gospel, engaging them in a conversation. Here's what's interesting about the results. He had the whole gamut. Some sneered at him, 
Some said, yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit more about this later. And then ultimately find that three other people actually came to the Lord and started following Jesus because of that. Hey, obedience is our responsibility. The results are up to God. And I think that's where a lot of our faith needs to start to get grown in incredible and tangible ways. So why is that so important? Why, why are those tactics? I think one, Paul's doing it in a way that's honoring who he is and who he knows Jesus to be. But also it's important because I don't know if you know this or not, Kairos is a part of Brentwood Baptist Church and Brentwood Baptist Church represents a family of churches. We have eight campuses across Middle Tennessee. Um, they range from congregations of 100 to thousands. And part of all of this church's collective vision in the next five years is this. In response to God's leading, we will pursue 10,000 disciple-making disciples relationships as a result of initiating 500,000 gospel conversations in which we will share the whole gospel of Jesus Christ with our neighbors and nations. I want Kairos to be a key contributor to that. Now, some of you may go back, wait, why are you putting numbers on that? There's nothing about conversions. That's God's job. Our job is to share our faith. Our, God is in, our job is to intentionally initiate gospel conversations with the people around us and who the Holy Spirit leads us to. And then out of that, hopefully we'll start to see 10,000 disciple-making disciple relationships. Now, uh, selfishly, I want us to be the ones that push the needle the most. So you guys always seem to exceed expectations. A few months back, we wanted to raise $5,000 for fresh water in South Africa during a water crisis. You raised $50,000. I think we're good for 100,000 gospel conversations. We can go ahead and take care of the whole 500,000 in the next year, and we'll get a new vision and plan. I'd love that. Like, sorry, Kairos ruined it. Let's go back to the drawing board. We'll figure it out later. This is... Some of you may be going, well, what do you mean when you say gospel conversation? Here's what a gospel conversation is. A gospel conversation is when you engage in a conversation with a lost or searching person in which we discuss our story in light of God's story, communicating at least some or all of the gospel truths. I don't know about you, but does that just take the pressure off just a little bit? Share your faith the way you would where you're at right here and now, one of the reasons I wonder if some of us don't share our faith is because, first of all, it may not be your faith. You're still living off a of parent's faith or you're still living under religious um, rituals. And sometimes I wonder, do you have enough of your faith to actually share? Do you need to drill down into your sacred rhythms, get back into God's word and to be filled with the spirit and the power and the presence of God so that you get a case of the can't help it's? what happened to the disciples on the way back from the road to Emmaus. Didn't our hearts burn with him when we were with him and the disciples brought before the court? We can't help but to speak about what we've seen and heard. Maybe then it'll just kind of be this natural overflow that when you're talking about yourself, Jesus is going to come up and you're all of a sudden find yourself in the middle of a gospel conversation. So my question for you is when's the last time you shared your faith with someone who didn't share your faith? Just so we're clear, that's the mission Jesus gave us. And I want to re-engage it. I want to reawaken the church up to let's figure out a way to share our faith with people who don't share our faith. 
And then maybe, uh, 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 Pastor Mike likes to say it this way. The first reformation put the Bible back in the hands of the people. The second reformation will put the ministry back in the hands of the people. Because many of us are guilty of wholesaling that out to the religious professionals. When all the while Jesus called us and said, come and I'll teach you how to fish for people. Again, conversion is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is obedience to talk about the Jesus who's loved us and saved us and secured us. Now, just to give you a, 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 a stats of where we're at right now, we have about 50 leaders and volunteers on our Kairos team. And since February, we started trying to track it. Like, hey, let's intentionally ask one another, are we having gospel conversations and pray for one another as we have them? Since February, we've logged 650 gospel conversations and four people have already come to faith in Jesus Christ. Outstanding. Now what happens when this whole room gets behind that? Uh, there's a resource that the church put out. It's called Gospel Conversation App. You can find it in the iTunes store. It's under BBC, I think. And the whole thing is dedicated for how to have better gospel conversations. There's podcasts, there's tools, there's Bible sharing videos on there. A buddy of mine, Jason Dukes, who's just like the Yoda of gospel conversation. He's got this smooth voice. He's so like crushed velvet. And I'm like, I just wish I could talk like you. It's incredible. And then there's also a section on there that says, record a gospel conversation. Or you just put in your name, put in your email, the name of the person you had a gospel conversation with, and you hit send. We're gonna track that and we're gonna pray for that person. And we're going to try to somehow live tangibly into the mission and the metrics of the kingdom of God to make disciples of all nations. And the way that we're gonna do that is I think just like Paul, let's borrow from him. Let's stay present right where you're at, especially when you're waiting somewhere. Just, hey, Jesus, would you develop my radar? Holy Spirit, would you help me just blip, blip on someone? Don't let me be in such a rush that I, I walk by someone. Help me to have such an incredible ear to the spirit and ear to other people that when I say, hey, how are you doing? And someone says, fine, I know in a second I need to pursue in that. Tell me more. Stay present. Stay curious. And if you'll just actively listen and ask great questions, you'll be surprised at the opportunities that will open up in front of you. I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of evangelism strategies that are just waiting for your turn to talk and insert your truth here. People want to know that they, you care before they know how much you know. And it, it's relational investment. Learn about people's passions and dreams. Learn about their fears and their doubts. And then it's an incredible segue and go, yeah, man, I can relate to that. And then you get to share about a time that you walk through that with Jesus, with your church and in community. And it's that natural give and take. Stay humble. Paul stays humble, man. He, he knows that it's not his own power, but it's God's power working through him. And in fact, he elevates the Athenians here, right? He's making notes to their gods. He's also uh, quoting a secular song and going, hey, even some of your poets have said, we're all his offspring. Let me baptize you in that and show you how that points straight to God. And for me, staying humble too is also incredibly important because I, this is not about me. This is about me being obedient to my Savior. Um, one of the guys I was in a, a discipleship huddle one time, uh, this was an area I had to really grow in. I'm not naturally extroverted in this. 
I can do it in ministry. I can do it in preaching, in one-on-one conversations. I'm the type of person that if the waiter or waitress brings me the wrong order, I don't want to say anything. That, that's, I don't want to intrude. I don't want to bother people. And she's like, eh. So he said, Chris, why don't you try putting the person that you're trying to have a gospel conversation in the position of power? Don't always think that you're the one coming to offer them something. See if they'll give you something because that puts them in a position of power. So I was in the middle of a gospel conversation, trying to have gospel conversations with a friend of mine. He's pretty big. He was a former MMA fighter, just rough dude. I love it. And I was praying before I was going to meet with him. Lord, just help me have gospel conversations. Help me to ask uh, for his help in some area to see if he'll respond to that. And I had to, I was taken later that week, going on a, about 45-minute drive to drop off something, uh, potentially at a house where someone doesn't want me there. Trust me, it was ministry. And so I get about halfway through the story, just, just telling him about this, and he goes, you're not going alone, I'm going with you, and I'm driving. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Love just being able to help me out. And on that 45-minute ride, we got to have a gospel conversation. Hey, tell me, how would you classify yourself spiritually? What do you, what do, you do with Jesus? Hey, you know I'm a pastor, right? Yeah. I'm not trying to convert you. That's not my job. But if you ever have any questions about God or life, I consider it an honor to talk more with you. I know. I appreciate that, bro. Awesome. That's true to who I am. I got to share my faith with one of my friends who I pray daily that God would open his eyes up to the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. And finally, Paul stays in community. He travels with guys. He makes sure that he plants training centers and equipping centers so that they can send, not just stay and holy huddle. And I learned this too, man. This is not just about you sharing your faith. It's about you sharing the faith of your community. You were never meant to bear that weight alone. Um, there are some people that are naturally gonna attract people to your community. That's awesome. I wanna be friends with you. Because once you invite someone in, then I'll have a side-on-side -side conversation with them. Um, I was reminded about this uh, about a month ago, sat down with a young man who uh, has walked away from the faith, very skeptical, very wounded, very bitter, very jaded, and had some pretty intense questions. And we're talking about his story and why he walked away. That's my jam. Let's talk about your wounds. Let's just open up and bleed all over the table. Hot dog. That's where Chris is at home. And then he starts asking some really tough intellectual questions. And I'm like, uh-oh. I said, buddy, I'm going to take a swing at this and probably miss and maybe foul tip it. But those questions that you're asking, I need you to meet my buddy, Matt Purdom. He's got an intellect that is sharp as a knife. He's got a pastor's heart. And he's got nine books on every question that you've asked that he can give to you as a resource. Man, I'd love for you to meet him. Would that be cool? Absolutely. Purdom comes in, has another hour conversation with the guy. I, by myself, probably would never be able to step into the weight of what he was carrying, but our community could. So who are the people in your community that when needs and conversations start to arise, you go, Oh, I'd love to introduce you to my friend. They could speak straight into that. Oh, you need to hear their story. That's the way it was wired. Here's what I think in closing, just simply this. I think we need a hitch for evangelism. Do you guys remember Hitch, that movie with Will Smith and Kevin James, yeah. right? And in that story, right, 
Kevin James is kind of the nerdy, awkward guy who wants to go after the girl. And all of a sudden, Will Smith, he's the Deborah Dabonair, you know, relationship coach. And all throughout the movie, he's telling him all the things he should do and how to change your wardrobe, how to change your vocabulary, especially that scene when they're dancing, right? You got to stay attending to or what? That's uh, not, not going to do that again. <laughs> I told you I need a hitch. Um, but at the end of the movie, it was such a neat reveal, wasn't it? He wound up falling in love with the girl and the girl fell in love with him. But why was it? It wasn't because he did everything that Hitch did. It was the moments he screwed up doing the things that Hitch had told him to do. And she said, when I saw who you really were, that's the person I fell in love with. Maybe the Holy Spirit just wants to whisper to you tonight, be yourself and share your faith because I have people picked out for you that need to hear the gospel translated through your life. Amen? So we like to take 120 seconds at the end of our teaching time and just kind of listen and lean into what the Lord might be saying to us. Um, if that's a new exercise for you, here's a prompt that I would give you. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring to name one person that you know that you would love to see come to faith in Jesus Christ. And if you can't think of someone, then start praying for someone. Start praying, God, would you open my eyes to the people around me who are outside of your family? If you have a name, then I would simply ask you to do this. Pray and consider how you might reach out and initiate a gospel conversation this week. Let's listen together.